Welcome to The Dad Presents. Make sure you're following the show wherever you're listening. And wherever you are out in the world, spread that love and liberty. Let's go. Welcome, you guys, to The Dad Presents. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please, guys, if you're on Spotify, if you're on Apple Pods or Rumble, click subscribe. Click five stars. Give us a review. Share the show with a friend. And then go to the other two platforms and do the same there. Do your part, people. Let me be clear. If you're in a state where hurricanes often strike, like Florida or the Gulf Coast or into Texas, a vital part of preparing for hurricane season is to get vaccinated now. That's right, guys. You got to get vaccinated. And you know, there's a new booster out there, guys. Go get it. Go get that new booster, you dirty grandma killers. Anyway, guys, we had a good weekend. My family had a good weekend. The wife and I, we got a weekend away from the kids. We went to the Ohana Music Festival. We go every year. It's great. But it was so much different this year than last year. This year, I couldn't believe it. We got there. We got to the the line. Nobody's wearing masks. There were no mask mandates, no vaccine passport mandates. And, you know, the bride and I, we were worried. Like, like, I don't know, man. What What if we're in that concert? We're there to see Eddie Vedder. And what if we're mashed in with 50,000 other people and someone sneezes and they're not wearing a mask? We're talking about genocidal level casualties, man. So, you know, I love Eddie Vedder. He's my favorite. Jack White was there. That's cool, but not worth dying for. No mask mandate. We're out of there, bitches. We said, screw you, Eddie Vedder. Your songs are great. You enjoy your clever banter between songs, but not worth dying for, man. I mean, what what are they even doing at this festival? Are they a bunch of homicidal cannibals trying to get people dead so they can go Jeffrey Dahmer on their dead asses? Speaking of Jeffrey Dahmer, have you guys checked out this show on Netflix? Have you been watching it? Been watching the whole thing. It is it's good, man. It's just Really well done. It's a great show. I remember that story from when I was in college. Amazing story. Look, guys, I live in California. I've been here for uh, 22, 23 years, 24 years, something like that. And I had my 15 minutes in showbiz when I first got out here. And I know how the business works. I know how it works. Hollywood manipulates your feelings. And they're very good at it. Because even knowing that they manipulate your feelings just you know, being fully aware of that fact. I watched this show about Jeffrey Dahmer, a homicidal maniac who would kill gay men and then eat their bodies. I watched this show about this man and it had me in freaking tears, crying for Jeffrey Dahmer's dad. His dad was sad that his son, who I will remind you, ate 17 people, was murdered. And they're so good at what they do, it brought a tear to my eye. And I had to stop in that moment and be like, damn, dude, you're being manipulated. But that's how good Hollywood is. They will manipulate you. You will know that they are manipulating you and you still get manipulated. So I don't know, man. Turn your TV off because when they want to put a thought in your head, they can do it. Anyway, the festival is great. I'm kidding. We didn't leave. We stayed. We had an amazing time. Eddie Vedder was freaking awesome. Jack White brought some incredible energy, much better show from him than I was expecting. We had, we had we had a great time. We didn't even get in a fight all day together. No kids, no friends to distract us, just a bride and I for a 
hour and a half drive and then eight hours of standing on our feet and trying to have our old 40-year-old backs hold us up, standing there, mushed in with other people, and then an hour and a half drive home, not one fight. It was amazing. It was wonderful. But guys, there is a new variant out there and a brand new booster that doesn't protect you against this new variant. But Joe Biden wants you to go and take your kids and give them some of that good Pfizer smack up in your veins anyway. Go get those kitties jacked up. Go get that booster, guys. Now, our guest today is a man named Ernest Ramirez. He listened to Joe Biden and he vaccinated his kid. He trusted the government. And guess what? His son died a few weeks later. I'm sorry, a few days later. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to make any claims about this, that, or the other thing, because we're only left on about three platforms. But if you hear this man's story and it doesn't bring a tear to your eye, well, I don't know, man. You might be dead inside. You might be dead inside. This guy's story is heartbreaking. We are losing trust in society. We're losing trust. We're losing trust in our institutions, in our government, in each other. It's not the fault of the people who are losing trust in government and in institutions. It's the fault of the liars who have been lying to us and stealing from us and taking advantage of the trust we have placed in them, which we never should have. And it's bad because you know what? Society is built on trust. It's built on trust. And it can all fall apart if we lose trust. The rules we have, the punishments, the idea that we have leaders, all of that is built on trust and it can all come apart very quickly when trust is gone. You drive down the street, you blindly trust complete strangers in the other side of the road to not swerve into your lane and kill you. You, you probably don't think about that every time you're driving down the street, but that's what's happening. You are trusting some guy in a 16-wheeler on the other side of the street to not swerve into your lane and take you out. You take it for granted. You trust him. You go to the dentist and you trust that man to drill holes into your face, to take a metal drill and drill a hole into your face. I'm going tomorrow. And I, I don't know my dentist very well. I'm just trusting that he, when he drills into that cavity, that he's going to stop when he gets to the end of the cavity and not drill all the way up into my skull because he could very easily do that. I trust him to do that, right? I had neck surgery more than a decade ago, and I had a man who I had met one time, a doctor, of course, it wasn't some random guy on a street, it was a doctor who was trained for this, but I met this doctor and had a 10-minute conversation with this doctor before I let him pump me full of drugs, cut my neck open, drill all the way down to within millimeters of my spinal cord, and then put in a bunch of bolts and plates and other stuff. Don't even know the names of those things. I just trusted him to do the right thing. Then he zipped me back up. You trust your kid's school, right? You take your young kid, you take your, your six-year-old to school, drive him to school. That little vulnerable six-year-old who you love more than anything, who you would cut your right hand off for, drive that little boy to school, and then you drop him off to be supervised and educated and, and disciplined sometimes by people who are virtual strangers. You trust those people are going to take care of him, educate him, protect him, and not ruin him. You just trust that. So society is built on trust. And we're losing trust in our institutions. People are losing trust in schools. 
More people homeschool now than ever because they're losing trust in the schools. We're losing trust in our medical society. People are now thinking twice before they go to the doctor, thinking two, three, four times before they listen to the doctor's advice to get a vaccine. Surgeries are way down, right? We're losing trust and the fabric of a community completely comes apart when we lose trust first in our institutions and then in each other. So today you're going to hear from a man who believes and, and whom was told by doctors that the Fauci smack, that Fauci, mm, get me some of that smack. That's the reason his son is no longer with us. That's what he believes. That's what he has been told. All right. Now, I'm not going to make judgments about his story. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you listen to his story. I'm going to let him tell his story. And you're going to try not to cry. But this man has lost trust in society, in our institutions completely. And how could you possibly blame the man? So if we can't find a way to rebuild trust in our institutions, in this nation, well, as it's presently constructed, we're doomed to fall apart. That is what happens. Now, I'm not necessarily convinced that society falling apart and starting over is the worst thing. Um, as long as we can reconstruct it correctly, but it's not a great thing, right? It, you don't ever have a society completely change over or, or a new uh, form of governance introduced and that transition is smooth. There's always a war. It's never smooth. We need trust. And if we're going to rebuild trust, we need people whom we can trust. And right now we don't have that. All right, guys, let's get into the show. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining us to, again today. And today we have a very interesting and uh, guest that's going to share just an inspiring and emotional and sad, heartbreaking story. His name is Ernest Ramirez. I met him at the Gateway to Freedom Conference in St. Louis. He shared a heartbreaking story about his son. Um and I'm just going to let you tell, I'm, I'm going to let him tell you the story. So Ernest, thank you for joining the show. How are you today? Um, day by day, that's all I can do, sir. I'm doing yes. okay. Yes. Well, you know, first, first, before you get into your story, I just want to thank you for your, your bravery and your honesty. Um, I, I don't want to uh, bury the lead, but you know, you lost your son and as a parent, and I, I can't imagine anything harder in the world than losing your child before you expect to. It's got to be incredible. So why don't you just, so thank you for your courage in sharing this story. Thank you for traveling all over the country to share the story. Uh, parents need to hear the story. Parents need to be aware of the risks. Tell us, tell us your story. Well, uh, being a single father, you know, junior was my world. I mean, I was so proud. The day he was born, he changed my life for the better. He made me a better person. Um, I, you know, naturally, I loved the heck out of my son. Uh, I I enjoyed being with him constantly. You know, I mean, bathing him was a fun time. Feeding was, you know, very enjoyable. I mean, it was just, that was my life. He was, he was my life. And as he grew older, you know, the walking and park, walking to the parks or anything, I mean, 
I don't see how people can go without having children because it's a blessing. I always said children are a gift from God. And that was the greatest gift I could ever have. I felt like a millionaire with my son. Um, and as you know, he grew up, we, uh, like I said, I, I personally never knew my father. I've never had that father image in my life. I was born and raised in the streets of Houston, practically, you know, raised myself. You know, I traveled, you know, nobody had to work. Nobody worried about where I was at, you know, because I had no one to really care. So I would see people with, you know, families, with their children, and especially fathers that had, their, you know, you know, holding on to their child. And, you know, I always wanted that. So I swore I, my son would never know what it's like not to feel a father's love. So I, I threw all my, my heart and soul into him. And uh, at the age of seven, naturally, I went to get a couple of baseball gloves so I could teach him how to play catch. And, you know, like I said, I've, uh, you know, made sure he knew how to catch the ball. And then once I realized he picked it up right away, I started throwing it harder and faster to him. And he turned around and told me, Dad, you're going to hit me. I said, no, that's your protection right there. You know, as long as you have that glove, you know, you won't get hurt. And we played for a couple of hours. And finally, he turned around and told me, Dad, I want to play baseball. And, you know, we never went into any type of sports or anything, but that's what he wanted. I said, sure, let's go. And I signed him up. I coached Little League Baseball for seven years till he went to high school. And he was a wonderful player. He was one heck of a pitcher. He had a real good fastball. So that's what, you know, that's, he picked it up right away. So uh, he, he was, his batting was incredible because all the other coaches. He, he would, they would yell to the back and uh, I loved it playing, you know, watching all the games because as soon as he would get on base, if it wasn't a home run, he'd get on base and he would taunt the pitchers. The other coach would tell him, leave Ernesto alone. Don't pay attention to Ernesto. He would always lead off base halfway and, uh, you know, just clap his hands and get the pitcher's attention enough for them to throw the ball and he'd steal another base. And he would do that all the way, even at past third base. I would tell him, you know, just hold on, you know, don't get too carried away. He would do it anyway. He would taunt them and taunt them, knowing they're going to throw the ball, and he would steal. And like I said, he, he was he was a character on the field. He, I mean, he would like I said, he he enjoyed the sport. So did I. It was yeah. a father son deal that we could, you know, we enjoyed on a daily basis. Oh yeah, and I, I, I met a lot. I can relate. I met a lot of wonderful kids too. Yes. Yeah, one of the one of the greatest joys as a dad is watching your kid play sports and compete and love the sport. Um, I I also coached my kid in in basketball, and it, it's a it's it's just a complete joy. It's different than competing as your on your own. Like it just pulls yes, at sir. your heartstrings and. And if your kid gets hurt, you feel it. If your kid hits a home run, I remember the first time my, my, I was a runner and my kid is a runner. Now I remember the first time I saw him run a race and he just cleaned up and beat everybody. And I cried like a baby for 20 minutes. I couldn't control it. It's, it's amazing how that touches you. So I'm glad you yes. had that experience with your son. It sounds like he had a lot of spirit. 
expressvpn.com slash the dad. Look, guys, the FBI and NSA, they're tracking you, man. If you're a parent and you use the word liberty or patriot in your bio on Twitter or whatever, or you talk about it on Facebook, guess what? They're spending money to track your web activity. Last year alone, 4 million Americans were tracked. That data recently came out. 4 million Americans were spied on by the FBI, and they're not going after the lefties. So protect yourself and protect your family with a VPN blocker from expressvpn.com slash the dad. There's just no reason to not do this at this point. You get three free months. If you don't like it by the fourth month, you cancel. Cancel by month four. You never pay for it. So try it out. Expressvpn.com slash the dad. Protect yourself. Protect your privacy. Protect your family. Our second sponsor is zstacklife.com slash the dad. Guys, COVID's still here. Still here. People aren't dying from it, but you don't want to get it. I had it. It's no fun. Flu season's coming back around. Get your body right and ready and healthy. Exercise. Eat right and get all the vitamins you need for a strong immune system in one dose from Z-Stack Life, which was created by the great Dr. Zelenko, who is one of the first brave doctors to stand up and fight against the COVID regime. Go to ZStackLife.com slash dad, get 15% off, get your body right. Let's get back into the show. Yes, he uh, he was tough because, I mean, he was about eight, nine years old and he, you know, the ball was hit to him. He was, uh, he was playing a uh, shortstop that time, and it bounced. And naturally, that happened at all the games. It bounced and hit him in the face. And, you know, I called a timeout. I ran out there, are you okay? He said, sure, Dad. I said, no, why don't you sit down for a minute? Nope. He didn't want to sit for nothing. He, he, you know, he toughened it up, and he kept playing. He didn't want to get off the field for nothing. That's how much he loved his game. And, uh at the age of, like I said, I mean, I, we spent all the time. He loved to fish. We'd go fishing, and he could. We could be out there for hours at a time. We, I would take him. We'd camp and fish during the day, and he would could sit there all day long without a bite. He wouldn't want to leave. He wanted that's his, was his favorite spot fishing. And uh, at the age of ten, I bought him a couple of twenty twos, and we'd I'd take him to teach him gun safety. And uh, he loved shooting also, so we'd go out target practicing all the time. And once he got so good, I ended up buying him a AR-22 tactical, fully tactical laser sights, everything. And like I said, he anything we did together was a wonderful day. I uh, would be outside working on motorcycles or cars, and uh, he would be there too. You know, uh, he'd be by my side. You know, just wanted to learn. Yeah, he inherited a 1955 Ford pickup truck uh truck that my uncle had stored in his garage for over 30 years and i would always tease my uncle i said you know you got a mess in your garage you want me to get that piece of junk out of there for you and he would laugh you know and this went on for years until about a year before, you know before junior passed we would go up there to austin every every month you know pull out the truck tinker with it and junior would sit in the driver's seat so one day my uncle said, you know what, Ernest, I'm going to go ahead and give you that truck. It was be it's in beautiful condition, brand new motor. I mean, he redid everything. He goes, I'm going to give you that truck. And Junior was studying for his license. He goes, as soon as Junior gets his license, that truck goes to Junior. And so Junior was 
happy. He was excited. I still have that truck parked in my driveway because I didn't want it. When he passed away, my uncle, <clears throat> he asked me if I was gonna, when I was going to go get Junior's truck. I told him I didn't want it. I have no use for that truck. I don't want it. He said, no, that's Junior's, and you have to go get it and bring it home. Yeah. So like I said, it's parked in my driveway. Uh, I've always said, if I'm not, I don't use it. It's not mine. It was Junior was supposed to be driving it. Oh, man. Him on Sundays. And the church and back in the driveway. That's it. But yeah, he was he was over very excited about getting his license so he can have his truck. And uh, like I said, we uh, all this COVID hit. You know, we did what they told us to do. We we're told use sanitizer, wear your mask, try to stay home, which we did. We stayed home. We wouldn't go out, and uh, I wouldn't let him go out anywhere. You know, I mean, he was. If he would go anywhere, it was just right here with my neighbor's son. They grew up together. It was his best friend. But even then, I told him no, because we don't know where they have been, and they don't know where we have been. So we have to be safe. And uh, so we, uh, I took the Moderna, both of them, because I was the one coming in and out of the house, and I didn't want to bring COVID and give it to my son. And plus, I wanted to make sure it was safe. I didn't get any reactions at all, nothing. So I, when Pfizer started announcing it was safe for teenagers, I, all I would see on TV were people in the hospital with COVID, on ventilators, and dying. Nothing about somebody was getting over it and coming out, just that they were dying in the hospitals. And naturally, I was scared for my son. I didn't want nothing like that to happen because... People are dying in there without their family members next to them. Yeah, And I know myself, I would have fought my way in there. They, there was no way they would have kept me out. And uh, I said, and they said it was safe. Pfizer was safe for teenagers. And I believed them. You know, yep. you know our government, we're supposed to, be able to trust our government, right? And anyway, I told Junior, you know, I said, Junior, they said it's safe for teenagers. Let's go get your first dose. He, and he said, right away, sure, Dad. So we went. He uh, took the first dose. He had no reactions. For five days, he had no reactions. My neighbor, a good Christian woman, uh, his best friend's mother, and my buddy's wife, you know, they've, they've been there for me, Junior, always. And uh, we, uh, she called me and said, Mr., can I take the boys out to eat and play basketball? And I felt confident that he was going to be okay because he had that first dose of the poison they were handing out. I, I trusted it. So I met him here at the front door. I gave him a hug and a kiss and gave him some money. I told him, behave and be good. And which I never had to do because he was a wonderful kid. He respected everyone. Everybody, everyone loved him because just the type of person he was. So they went. She took them out to eat. She said the kids ate and they played video games. And then she took them to the park. And she called me hysterical, screaming that something's wrong with Junior. And naturally, I didn't want to believe it. 
She said, you need to get over here quick. So I raced. I mean, I was doing as fast as my motorcycle could carry me. I don't even remember if I stopped it on the lights or the corners. And I just got, I had to get there. And there, by the time I got there, they were loading them up in the ambulance. They were working on him. They wouldn't let me get in. They wouldn't let me ride with him. So I chased the ambulance. I mean, I was so close that I could actually literally touch the back door. I wouldn't get off the back door. Why would they so not let we got you to, on? That I don't understand. That was my son. And I don't know why they wouldn't let me ride with my son. And then when we got to the hospital also, they walked. We were still working on him. I could see him through the door. And then the doctor came on and told me, well, your son's dead. You, you know, you can go home now. Wow. I mean, like, it meant nothing. You know, it was just an everyday thing to him, I guess. I don't know. And I was trying to figure out, what do I do now? You know, I didn't, I didn't want to leave my son there. And uh, so at that, I didn't even, I went walking home. I didn't even worry about my motorcycle or transportation or anything. I walked home and I was cursing God all the way back because how could he do this to me? I raised my son to be a man. I taught him how to love God, how to love country. I didn't understand like by the time I got home to an empty house I was suicidal I have no reason to live I lost all faith in God but then I thought I kept thinking about it. I mean, something in the back of my head said, I can't do this because if I do that, I will not go to heaven. It's one of the biggest sins that, you know, if you commit suicide, you're not going to go to heaven. And then it came to me, I must have faith still because that stuck in my brain. And naturally, I wanted to see my son again. So I realized man didn't kill my son. It was, I mean, God didn't kill my son, man did. So I started changing my way of thinking. I said, no, I got to do something in my son's honor. And uh, I got to fight back. I have to fight back because this was wrong. Me trusting my government, my son, I pushed him to finish school and go to college. He said, no, dad, I want to go to the Air Force. So... My thinking is, my son wanted to fight for his country, and this is what our government did to my son, like an animal. Like he was just some type of lab rat or something. So I just started saying, no, I have to do something. I went, ended up, I was asked to speak in Houston when it first started, which I did. And then... uh I was asked if I could speak at the Capitol here in Texas. I said, of course, I'm a, I have to tell my son's story. I have to let people know what's going on. I need my son to be remembered. And uh, so I've been to Austin about three times to speak in front of the Senate. And I had a friend whose brother-in-law passed away from uh, COVID. 
So they asked me to file with FEMA for funeral assistance, which I did. I gave them everything they asked, and uh, they denied me. They said, your son didn't die of COVID. He died of, uh, he didn't die of COVID. We can't help you. So, like I said, naturally, I wasn't preparing for my, to bury my son. I was preparing for my death so I can leave him well off. Right. And I said, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'll take care of myself. I'll, you know, I'll figure out something. And uh, so after when I was in Austin one day, they asked me, what do you plan on doing now? I said, well, something inside me tells me I have to go to D.C. And uh, I'm going to ride my motorcycle, my motorcycle up there to get more attention. Because I have decals of my son on my motorcycle, you know, that where it says Pfizer killed my baby boy, his picture and his dates there. And I figured that'd bring a lot of attention when if somebody see me riding up there. Well, uh, Senator Ron Johnson heard the story. He called me and he asked me if he could do a, a conference call with me, a Zoom call. I said, sure. And he asked me what my plans were. I said, I don't know, sir. Uh, I'm going to go up there and knock on the gates. If Biden comes out, I have no plan. I, I just have to get to D.C. So he asked me to wait that he was going to set something up, which he did. That's when we did the roundtable. That's why I got to meet all the other vaccine injured. Little Maddie DeGary, Brianne Dressy, Joel, I mean, Kyle, so many others. I mean, I, thousands of vaccine injured I know now. So we went there. We all met. We became real good family, I should say. We became a family. Anyway, uh, I went to, I came back home. Uh, Junior's birthday was November 11th. I went to have a little party. Uh, at the cemetery. <clears throat> took him balloons, took him cake. And then here comes Thanksgiving, Christmas. And, uh, you know, I'm here alone. Those were holidays we celebrated together. So just before Christmas, I get a phone call. It was Dr. Robert Malone. He asked, called me to ask how I was doing, if I was okay. And which made me feel good. He, he lived And uh, so, and uh, a little while later, I get another phone call. So naturally, I'm thinking it's another doctor. It was FEMA contact me saying they needed more paperwork. I said, no, you don't. You have all the information you asked for about my son, and I was denied. So I appreciate it anyway. And they put me on hold. They came back on. Well, if, sir, if you could change your son's death certificate that it read, reads COVID wow. rather than myocarditis. We can help you financially. And wow. I told him no. I said, I will not disrespect my son in that way. And they put me on hold again. Wow. And they the came government, back, well, sir, they, they wanted you to lie about how your son died in order for compensation. Yeah. Oh. They offered me ten to $35,000. Oh. And I told them, I told them, I won't. I already told you, I will not disrespect my son in that way. I will not falsify government documents for financial gain. This went on for 45 minutes. And then until finally she said, and I told, I told her, you know, I already told you, leave me alone. Don't bother me any, anymore. 
if you or anyone else that's on this call want more information, Google my name and you'll find out exactly who I am and who my son is. And the lady lowered her voice to a whisper, an actual whisper, and told me, I'm so sorry, Mr. Ramirez, and she hung up. And then they ended up calling me Disgusting. and uh, emailed me in January that I needed to get in contact with them to log into the website so they can give me paperwork. I said, no, I don't need to do anything. I already told you. So I emailed that to everyone I know. I, I, I forwarded it to Steve Kirsch, his attorney, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long and her attorney, uh, just about everybody. I wanted yeah. everybody to see what's going on. These people that I have met now, and uh, they kept on. They called me in March. I was asked, Ernest, do you have any uh, hard evidence, paperwork or recordings? I said, no, they they were supposed to send me a letter, but they haven't, you know, because I didn't answer the email. They were going to send me a letter, which I never received. And I started recording a conversation in March when they called me. And I said, I already told you I will not change his death certificate. And uh, I said, I already, I've asked now, you now, several now, times. Hold on, Ms. Oh. Mr. Ramirez. Did, did the doctor tell you that your son died from myocarditis? My doctor told me my son was dead and I can go home. That's all he told me. That's all he told you. <laughs> wow. I had, so Ivory Hecker. Ivory Hecker heard the story when I was in Austin. She asked if she could interview me. And I said, sure, of course, just to get my son's story out. I was getting, I wanted to talk to everyone. So she came down. She interviewed me for quite a while. And she asked me all different types of questions. And I, I gave her the answer, names, information. And uh, when it was over, I said, okay, that's, that was pretty good. Then I find out, because she didn't tell me what she was going to do. She called the hospital where he was vaccinated. She called the doctor that uh, was in charge of the hospitals. She got in, uh, in uh, contact with the coroner, that judge. She was contacting everyone. She did. A, I appreciate what she did. She did a thorough job. Because it took me three months to get my son's uh, autopsy report. Coroner said that the judge had it. The judge would tell me they didn't send it to him. And I was like that back and forth for three months until I finally said, you know what? I'm tired of playing with you. I said, I'm going to let my attorney get it from you. The following morning, I get a call. Oh, Mr. Ramirez, it's available now. Yeah, now that I've threatened with my attorney. Yes. Wow. And the doctor in charge of the hospital denied on camera. I have a video. She said it to me. <clears throat> He denied my son was vaccinated at his hospital. She showed him a card. Wow. And uh, he goes, and he kind of stepped back. And then he goes, well, maybe uh, it was a, the child, obese child. I read his report. And so she showed him a picture. She goes, How, what does he look like here? And the doctor actually said he looks like a normal 16-year-old boy. This doctor was coming up with all kinds of excuses about my son's passing. Never did he mention it was myocarditis. She told him. And in that same uh, uh, interview, she had sent my son's autopsy to Dr. Peter McCullough, who verified it was caused by the vaccine, myocarditis, where... surrounding his heart was uh, from the vaccine. So... I don't know why this doctor kept on. This doctor actually even contacted me too. 
and told me that I was spreading misinformation. And I, uh, his, uh, his name is Dr. Uh, Ivan Melendez. He said, he contacted me and said, I was spreading misinformation. I said, I'm sorry, sir. I said, I'm going by everything that you said on the interview. I said, if you need a copy, I'll be glad to give it to you. Because he, he was just telling me, trying to get me to shut up, not say nothing. And then he even got it's, to the point it's where It's just goes, a massive oh. cover-up on, on every level. And to a man who just loves his child and just lost him, the, the amount of heartlessness that goes into this is absolutely disgusting. Um, and and you, you're so gracious to be sharing this story. You're brave to be sharing this. Most people would crawl into a hole and never be seen again. Um, the fact that you were suicidal is completely understandable. I, I got to imagine most parents would feel the same way. And we're, yes. we're glad you're still here to, to spread this message because people need to hear it. Whether you're, you, you have qualified doctors stating that your son, the autopsy shows he died from myocarditis a week after getting the injection. Yes. That's information exactly. parents need to hear. They need to it's hear not it just, because... Go ahead. Not just, uh, not, not just Dr. McCullough. I've had, because I carry my son's autopsy with me everywhere I go. I've had Dr. John Witcher verify it also. Dr. Uh, Paul Alexander. Dr. Paul Americ. Every doctor that I know of. I know uh, quite a few doctors. And they all ask to see the autopsy. And I have it with me at all times. So it's not just one doctor. Just here, like I said, I guess this doctor didn't want the attention. And I, he uh, he wanted me to go eat lunch with him and talk to him so he can try to convince me. Yeah, he wanted and to And I was going to do it. Yeah. No, the thing is, what I'm thinking is, he probably would have called the police and, you know, say that I was trying to attack him. You know, that's what I figured. Mm -hmm. And I would have got arrested or something. So I said, no, you know, I talked to my attorney too. He goes, don't do it. It's not worth it. I mean, even when they, uh, I was asked to record FEMA next time they called me, I started recording it. And uh, nat for, uh, naturally, after I got through, I told him, leave me alone. Don't bother me no more. I went back to review the recording. And it was 13 minutes of silence. All you could hear was a click at the beginning and just dead air. And I went to go get another recorder from another shop I know of. And he goes, okay. And he goes, uh, well, sir, can I ask, what do you need it for? Because this recorder I have worked. I have recorded conversation with all these wonderful doctors. And it works fine. And he asked me, what, uh, what are you using it for? I said, well, FEMA called me and I need to record conversations with them. And he goes, the government? I said, yes, sir. He goes, I can sell you anything here in the shop. He goes, nothing's going to work. He wow. goes, they have something that was scrambled where you can't record their conversations. Wow. So, the, so FEMA is trying to FEMA is trying to buy you off because government is pushing out this propaganda for whatever reason they're pushing out the propaganda on behalf of the pharmaceutical companies or whatever. The government is trying to pay you off, and they have they converse with you and you cannot record it because they scramble the signal that's unbelievable look Ernest, yes, you're you're a wonderful dad you are a wonderful dad i don't know where you learned to to be a dad because you did not grow up with a dad but somewhere you got it right you raised a heck of a kid you should you should be proud of yourself um and i i know ernest is looking down on you and and he's proud of you for having the guts to tell his story his story deserves to be heard 
Um, there's millions of parents out there who are vaccinating their children and that's their right. That's their decision to make, but they need all the information you need. They need to yes. know, they need to know how much of a threat is COVID to my child versus how much of a threat is this vaccine? And you, and they need to weigh those two threats and make the best decision for their kid. They can't do that if people like you are being silenced, if doctors like Dr. McCullough and, and Dr. Malone, who spoke with you, whom we're having on the show, if they are being silenced, if shows that are putting out messages like this are being silenced, it's, it's criminal. It's absolutely criminal. Yes. And I applaud you for, for being a good dad and doing the right thing. Yes. I, I, several times on several interviews, I always tell people, yes, I was suicidal. to do that because i figured suicide no i have a fight now I'm, i do not plan to do myself harm i'm not suicidal i want to continue this until all this is over and done with because like i said i have a uh, little maddie to gary i love that little girl like she's my own i want to see that little girl run jump and dance again so she, get out she of that was also vaccine injured correct what yes sir what, yes, sir. what are her injuries was a also she was also she, she was part of the test I see. I didn't even know it was a test, but uh, she was part of the test, and uh, she uh, went to several doctors. And uh, come to find out, they, those doctors all say it was a stomach ache. I said, "What? A stomach ache will not put you in a wheelchair. It will not confine you to a wheelchair and not put you on a feeding tube." You know, she's vaccine injured. I mean, you can people can look up her story. She's a wonderful, beautiful young little girl. I've seen video of her videos of her dancing and jumping, acting silly, and now she's bound to a wheelchair. And she was her, part of the Pfizer, She was part of the study bef before they yes, even sir. released this. So she was injured before this was even released on the yes, public. Sir. There was there was a lot of injuries from the study, and that was she covered was up. Right, and those injuries were covered up. Like the data was only recently released, and yes, Pfizer sir. wanted to keep it under wraps for seventy five years. And they had to be because we were, if we yeah. wouldn't be here, we'd be dead by then. Yeah, uh, sickening. All in the name, all in the name of money. They don't care about families. Yeah. That's that's the thing with these pharmaceutical companies. Like we're supposed to trust them and just take their word for everything, as if they care about us. They don't care. These are heartless corporations who care about making money, and that's capitalism, and that's fine. But we need all the information and government working on their behalf to cover it up. Their heads need to roll for this. Heads need to roll. Um, exactly. Yeah. And you, you, I'm glad you have this sense of purpose now uh, because it would be a shame if, if we lost you and men need, men need a sense of purpose in society. You need a sense of purpose in order to want to live. And now you have a purpose and you're going to win. Yes, sir. That's my problem is that I know there's thousands of other families that have been affected. My fear is that, you know, naturally you're grieving, you're going through all this stuff. You don't know where to turn, what to do. And here comes FEMA. Here, I'll give you $10,000. I'll give you so much to help you bury your child. Yep. And a lot and of people take that, that for just, sure. That just shuts some people up. Yep. Or we're going to pay you and we want you to change that death certificate so that it says COVID and then we can help you. I mean, you know, people are grieving. They're not thinking right. I mean, me personally, I'm, I guess that's why I'm, I've always said, I think the good Lord, he knows, he knew this was going to happen. 
he didn't do it, but he knew this was going to happen. But at the same time, too, he knows I'm a fighter. My son's in a better place. He's not suffering. He's with God. But the, the good Lord knows I'm a fighter and I don't give up. And nobody, I fear no man. So he, I, I guess he figured, you know, you're going to be out there. You're not going to shut up. You're going to continue this fight for everyone else. I, like I said, I'm doing it in my son's honor. And I have thousands of vaccine injured people that also depend because, you know, naturally you're in a position and you kind of don't want to start trouble. You don't want to make too much noise. I'm not like that. My friends try to quiet me down here when we're in D.C. or these events. I said, no, we're at the White House and somebody, you know, they told me, Ernest, whatever you do, don't don't get carried away. I said, no, people need to hear it. I mean, I don't go standing up yelling, cussing and things yeah. like that. But I want, I want you to listen to me and I want to see your face, your reaction when I'm talking to you. I want to make sure you're listening and paying attention. Yeah. And just well, by chance, some guy, some gentleman jumped on the elevator and he had a bat. You know, somebody that worked there at the uh, Congress. And I said, Wow, you got a bat. I said, Can I see your bat? <laughs> My friends automatically said, Whatever you do, don't give him that bat. I said, I just wanted to look at the bat. But naturally, they thought I was going to go, you know, get out of hand. I said, No. I want people to hear what I have to say. I don't want them to see an angry parent just going, you know, loose. Like yeah. Crazy. Well, once you get, once you get violent, then you lose credibility. Then people start. Yes, stop listening. exactly. Um, look, there's people nothing, listen to me. there's nothing more dangerous than a man with nothing to lose. And you've lost the most important thing to you. So you are now a danger to them. Your words are a danger because they know they cannot scare you or intimidate you to shut you up because you've already lost the most important thing to you. Let me ask you this. You grew up without, without a dad. A dad. Um, the fathers, society is short on fathers these days. We need more fathers home. So many kids grew up without dads. Growing up without a dad, how did you now, as a dad, how did you learn how to be a dad and what made you stick around for your kid when you did not have that example set for you? Well, see, the thing is, the day my son was born, he was handed to me and I was told, here, this he's yours, you take care of him, which I did. I mean, like I said, I felt, I was so excited when I heard those words. I wasn't upset. I wasn't mad that they were giving up my son. I, I was glad. And the thing is, I, the, what I figured is everything I wanted growing up, I was going to give to him. All the love I never got, I was going to make sure I gave it to him. You know, the time, the playing, I've never had somebody play catch with me or, or show me how to throw a football, stuff like that. These yeah. were things that were in my mind that I had to give to my son. Yeah. That way, you know, he knew that his father loved him. I told my, like I said, I, I used to kiss my son every morning, give him a hug before I went to work. Every evening, I would hug and kiss my son. During the day when we're anywhere, I, I, I just see my son and I look, what a blessing. And I would give him a hug and a kiss. Absolutely. And he never, like other teenagers do, they would, oh, please behave or don't do that. No, he, he would hug me back. You know, he knew I loved him. And to this day, that's why I always tell a lot of parents, you need to show your children that you love them. You need to tell them, tell them that you love your kids. Give them a hug, give them a kiss every day. Because I used to do that constantly every day. And I feel like I have, I didn't do it enough. I don't want them to regret it. That, yep. oh, you know, I don't have my child anymore. And I didn't tell them I loved them. Or I didn't hug them enough. That's why I, I push parents. You need to do this because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. 
you don't know if your child's yep. going to be here or not. So they well, need to know this. A dad, a dad's job really is threefold. Give that child love, uh, give that child um, guidance and shelter and protect that child. And you did all of those things and the government and Pfizer, they took away your ability to protect your child with lies. And they need to be, there needs to be accountability for that. You did what fathers are supposed to do. You did your job. Society failed you. Um, we we are, are coming up on time. If people want to get involved, if people want to get involved in helping you, if people want to get involved in this fight, if people want more information, what do you have for them? Uh like anyone, uh, I have my phone on 24 hours a day. I answer all my text messages, emails, everything. I, my phone never turns off. You can contact me directly. I've handed out my cards with my personal number all the time. You can. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Uh, yeah, anyway, I mean, like I said, my son's website, Junior's Guardian Voice, JRSGuardianVoice.com. You, I even have an application there. If somebody's actually injured or your uh, grieving family, send me a message on there. I mean, but like I said, I like them to contact me directly because I don't want you, if I miss an email or something, I don't want you to think I don't care. That's why I give a lot of people my personal phone number because uh, they can contact me directly. If you need help, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a politician. I'm no one of any importance. I can contact you to react 19 i work with react 19 quite a bit miss brianne dressing like i mentioned earlier uh and the, several doctors malone mccullough merrick alexander witcher i mean there's so many doctors wonderful doctors willing to help if you're injured or you know anything you, you know i'll do anything i can to help everybody you know because i feel this is the path i'm on now i feel my son pushing me because if i don't do this i can hear him say Dad, why don't you practice what you preach? Because this is the way I taught my son to be. So I have to be the way I taught him. So I feel my son pushing me down this path and the good Lord guiding my path, telling me what to do, which direction to go in. You know, because all this stuff, I don't get paid at, for any of these events or anything I do. I, you know, I miss a lot of work. So, you know, so, it, you know, I don't want, I don't care what people think, you know, you think I'm getting paid for it. You know, you don't see wonderful pictures or chandeliers in yeah. my house. Yeah. That's a, that's another thing we should mention because whenever I have a doctor on or someone like you, one of the first things I will hear from, from people is that this person's a grifter. This person's in it for the money. You've been taking vacation, vacation time, time, your own vacation time to travel around the country, to speak at these events for free, to get the message out. You're luckily you have an employer who's been gracious and uh, afforded you this, but I have no doubt that even if you lost your job, you would continue to sacrifice um, because you're doing you're doing the right thing. Now, you, ju you just said a couple minutes ago that, that you're nobody important, and I want to correct that because you, you're not famous, you're not a celebrity, but you're important, and the work you're doing is important. And I, for one, am so grateful to you for what you're doing. And I know there's millions of other people out there. There's probably 15, 20,000 people hearing this show and you're going to affect a lot of them. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, Ernest. Um, if people, you, you said you will answer text messages and emails. Um, if people contact the show and they want to get in contact with you, I have your number. Are you okay with me giving that out? Yes, sir. 
especially especially the vaccine injured or anything you know you need someone to talk to call yeah. me i mean like i said i'm i'm alone and uh be, to be honest I, I was always with around a bunch of bikers they've got they've got to the point where they said you know what you're getting too much attention uh attention from the government uh you need to step away from us so oh, no one comes around no more you know which like i said i know situation like this show who your true friends are yeah that sucks so, because uh bikers like that's supposed to be a, a close-knit group of friends or a, a gang of sorts those are people who are supposed to have your back when the going gets tough and, and they run away like, yes, like little cowards and that pisses me off because i've seen it all too often yeah i've learned a lot about our friends and our families because in the I past couple of years i don't know if you uh heard the first time I went to DC, I rode up on a motorcycle. I had one gentleman, I had a lot of people say, yeah, we're going to go. Only one person went with me, a real good friend of mine. To this day, he's him and his wife are always checking on me and uh, let's go out to eat somewhere, you know, because I stay at home. I don't like to go out very often. And uh, But they'll drag me out to go eat dinner just to go for rides. You know, like, come on, let's go for a ride, you know, just so I can get out of the house. Yeah, Those are the only really the two people that stood by my side yep when when the going gets tough man that's that's when you learn who's in your corner i'm, I'm glad you have them yeah, again sure. Ernest, thank you thank you for thank you for your bravery thank you for telling your story thank you for coming on the show today thank you for being a great dad dads out there learn from Ernest and what he said hug your children never be too manly to hug and kiss your children because if you don't do it one day you will regret it thank you very much Ernest. Yep. appreciate you Thank you, sir. Appreciate Take it. Take care. Bye-bye.